Our cutoff story for this week, and it's touching, and it is apt for Thanksgiving. At number 11, Grandma celebrates fifth Thanksgiving with man accidentally invited to dinner after losing husband to COVID-19. We got it from USA USA Today. We posted on Monday, the 23rd of November. And this story, which you can't go much into because it's cut off, is the story of the grandmother, the lady who sent text messages to her family five years ago about what time dinner was. And one random guy got the message and said, well, I'm not part of the family. She said, come on over anyway. And for tradition, he and his girlfriend have gone to their house. Uh, the woman lost her husband this year to COVID-19 and the tradition continues. So it's a sad, sad story, but a great story on its own. And you want more about it. You have to go to the website and check it out. Uh, we have it at our website. This is conversation.com. Click on the link for this week's podcast for the 27th of November, 2020. So that's the right number 11. The stories that you really cared about, the stories that made the top 10 coming up in just a moment, we will tell you what stories you determined were actually most conversational on the weekly wrap-up with Jacob and Payne. This is for the week ending, as we just said, November 27th, 2020. And welcome to the show. My name, Jay Cleveland Payne. The show, Weekly Wrap-Up. It's a weekly wrap-up of news stories that we post throughout our social media attached to this thing we call The Conversation Project, found at thisisconversation.com. Now, The Conversation Project is a way to kind of go through the world, and yes, the world, because we have internet access and everyone has access to what's going on, uh, to the stories that are the most conversational throughout you. Now, this bypasses, in some cases, uh, what the mainstream media is overplaying and overshowing in their news coverage by going through various sources, some mainstream, some not so mainstream, some of them we do question ourselves, but various links to various stories that you may be hearing about or may not be hearing about, and we give you the chance to tell us which stories seem more conversational, more interesting, and we, of course, tell you what they are at the end of the week in this podcast. And you find out where the stories are by just following your social media you already have on Facebook, it's this is the conversation. Look for us there with the blue speech bubble looking thing on Twitter. It's TH underscore conversation. And as we post stories, uh, not so consistent in some cases, but basically every 50 minutes or so, we've had some holiday time going on. You'll find a story and link to a new story. And you just as you check your feed, see what's in there and see what pops up or go straight to the sites themselves and like them, love them, hate them, share them. Please read them so you're involved with what's going on. And the more engagement a story gets, the higher score it gets towards the end of the week. We go from about midnight on Friday to about 5 a.m. on Friday. So it's a week and a couple hours. And we put those scores from Facebook and Twitter into a spreadsheet and do some little math stuff. So we have one true score to go through from top to bottom. Top means number one. Bottom this week is 202 for 202 distinct different postings that qualified inside of this week. And we'll tell you what the top 10 are in just a moment. I'll also tell you what the story at number 202, the what we call the almost relevant story of the week, because it's usually something that's posted late into the game, so it doesn't get much love. This time, it's a story that was posted early into the game that didn't get much love, but we'll, we won't necessarily explain it, but we'll tell you what the story is in just a bit. If you want to be a part of the show, as we say, follow us on social media and engage in the stories. If you want to comment with me and go back and forth, email the conversation ebot. The conversation inbox, that is the conversation inbox at gmail.com. Say that three times and maybe you'll say it one time. You can also go to thisisconversation.com slash partnerships and see if there's a way that you 
may want to join up and help partner with us to get some things done around here. And you can also just visit any of the advertisements you see inside of our products. In, a link inside a newsletter, a link inside the feed, a link on the website. We get an affiliate uh, commission off any of those things. So we thank you so much for that. The most important thing is subscribe to the podcast and share it with other folks so we have more people in the conversation. Now let's get into the conversation. Start with the story. Count them down. Casey Kasem style. At number 10, Prince Charles and Camilla turn off Twitter comments after the crown. Wednesday, the 25th of November, the date we posted this one, this story gets a bump in response. That means more people responded to this one than the last one to make it the number 10 story by 27.78%. That's a lot, but uh, it's, it is what it is. So here's the deal. The Crown has, has launched another season on Netflix. The Crown is a, not so much a reimagining, because that's what I thought it was at first, but it is essentially a story, a behind-the-scenes detail, although dramatic, dramatized, there you go, dramatized, of life in the royal family. It started way, way back with Queen Elizabeth, and now it's gotten into modern times uh, where we're seeing uh, more of the people that things that are more relatable, more more memorable to folks in my era, including now last week, the introduction of the storyline of Princess Diana marrying Prince Charles. And if you can remember, there were so many just weird things. Well, maybe not at the time because there wasn't social media at the time. And so it was just a big fairytale princess story. But as we got to learn more about their relationship and more about what happened and more about the Camelia Parker Bowles, we got to know some of the dirt. And, and of course, the, the way they were presented inside the show, that being Princess Diana and Prince Charles, it wasn't very pretty. And so this, because we do have Twitter, we do have social media, people started railing at, at Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles, which I don't know if that's her actual name anymore because she's married to Prince Charles. And uh, so what do you do in these days? You turn off your Twitter comments. You don't let people shout at you for a bit. You basically, in this case, they took the high road. They aren't, they aren't so much bashing back other people. They just turn off comments for probably quite some time, so they don't have to hear people complaining about how horrible they were to her. And there's always two sides of the story, and they have their own side of the story, so don't let me get into that one. I'm not exactly a royal watcher, so there's there's all that. But they did do as much high road as they could. They just turn off the comments on Twitter so that people can't keep bombarding them directly with things. Now, there's still plenty of comments and on going on about the crown and things like that. So if you want to get on that action, go to your Twitter machine and make it work. You want to see deeper into this story, go to our website and click the link for this week's podcast. The story at number nine gets a bumper response of 24.64% from the 10 story. It was posted on Saturday, the 21st of November. The headline is simple, Clemson at Florida State football game postponed. Now, this was posted on Saturday because the game that was supposed to happen on Saturday, Clemson at Florida State, was postponed. Simple enough. Happened again on a later date, most likely. It, it, they, it was rescheduled and we're still have things going on. But there's so much weird going on in college football, the college football season. If you're not here in the States or follow college football, uh, there are Many, many conferences to rule college football based on the various sizes of schools. So that, so that schools basically play schools of similar size or similar money value, if you will. Uh, there's five what we call power conferences. Five of them are the largest schools in the nation are controlled by these five different conferences. And due to COVID-19, the initial start was, you know, no games, no sports, no nothing. Two conferences said we're not playing 
The other three waited a while and said, we're going to play. They scat, they staggered their starts. And because quote unquote money, maybe not quote unquote, but because of money and prestige, the other two relinquished. So the college football schedule was all thrown out because many schools that didn't, couldn't afford all the facility cleanings and all the stuff that need to go with protocols, they didn't play. So many smaller schools aren't going to play this season. Uh, the larger schools, because they started different times, all staggered off their stuff. And because of various COVID issues, many schools had other games postponed. Many schools had other games moved. Many schools had missing players here or there because they tested positive. Uh, it's been a wild, crazy season, even though there is going to be at some sort of time some sort of college championship even though the the teams aren't necessarily playing a equal amount of games, power rankings have been all sort of out of whack, and this is just one similar, just one situation where a game got called fairly late in the the the, the process and very late in the season because the season's basically over uh, for what's happening. I know here in this week, as this has been recorded, recording this on Friday instead of Saturday as normal. Uh, this week is basically rivalry week in football in the SEC, Southeastern Conference. And one game that I always look forward to is Auburn-Alabama because I was born in Alabama, so that's something I, I look forward to, even though I don't necessarily root for either team. Basically, you just kind of go for Alabama just by default unless there's a good Auburn team. Uh, but rivalry here where I live in Arkansas is was Arkansas-LSU, which happened last week. Now it's Arkansas-Missouri. That happened with some realignment stuff. Only it's not happening this season because that game got called uh, because of COVID-19 issues. So we're going to have a season where uneven numbers of teams will somehow battle uneven numbers of teams at other conferences to to uh, see who's going to be a champion. It won't be an asterisk. It'll be an actual championship. If you followed college football, you you know it's crazy. You already know that college basketball has started as well. So they're dealing with issues they have by having very limited people in the facilities, doing their best to be bubble-ish like the NBA without being a true bubble, and very few people in the building, period, for the start of the season. It's going to be a rough one until we get this vaccine and get this whatever herd immunity happens. But uh, we are going to get through this, and something closer to normal will happen sooner. Trust me, they, they don't need this to be as bad as it is right now. At number eight, Netflix removes Chappelle's show from service upon request from Dave Chappelle, who blasts Viacom CBS for licensing the show without paying him. Tuesday, the 24th of November, this day we posted that one, a bump in response from the number nine story of 2.33%. What's this all about? Well, Dave Chappelle star of the Chappelle show. If you remember all the hubbub of that one, a uh, CBS Viacom who owned comedy central produced the show. And there is the big to do when Dave Chappelle left the show after taping a bunch of stuff. Uh, the, the, remember he went to Africa to find himself essentially for, and didn't come back for, for years and do anything for years. Um, Dave Chappelle, didn't own the rights to his show, so that meant the Chappelle show went on for another season. They call it the, the Lost Episodes uh, that was hosted by some of the other comedians that sort of narrated things that it went through. But they had so many skits that were recorded and still more or less relevant that they made that happen. Fast forward quite a bit of time. Let's go back a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the week after, the weekend after the election, and, and Dave Chappelle was hosting Saturday Night Live, the first guest host right after the election, which happened back in 2016 as well. 
And he did some jokes uh, that were pretty raw and rough. And one of those jokes was about his grand grandfather, great grandfather, who was a slave, and how he would have looked at him and saw how the fact that Viacom is is auctioning off his show that he got so more times than he did as a slave. Uh, that turned into a really really big deal with Dave Chappelle asking Netflix to not show the Chappelle Show, which licensed by Viacom, and they did that. And the main reason why people think that Netflix did that was because Netflix has a agreement. They do production stuff for Dave Chappelle and his specials, and they probably did not want their big star mad at them for making money off stuff he's not making money for. Meanwhile, Viacom CBS is still offering up the streaming versions of the shows to various other platforms, and Dave Chappelle can't necessarily ask them not to, or maybe he did, but they don't necessarily have any right to or need to do so unlike what Netflix did. We'll see how this thing plays out as well, as all these things have their own separate issues. But Dave Chappelle having the juice to ask Netflix to stop playing his stuff, even if Viacom CBS is going to make the money off of Dave that Dave's not making money off of. The story coming in at number seven this week, AstraZeneca and Oxford defend COVID vaccine trials after questions raised in U.S., Thursday, the 26th of November's date that this was posted, bump in response of 4.55%. And this story was brought to us by CNBC. And here's the, the deal. AstraZeneca came up with their version of the vaccine, and they want to kind of get rolling. And they came up with some numbers that didn't quite make people happy. In fact, uh, when they had what little independent study was, was done for it so far, it came out with results that said it was basically 70% effective. Um, which is not the 90-plus of the other two vaccines that have already had news for them. Meanwhile, AstraZeneca and Oxford are defending the vaccine and the trials and the work on it, saying that uh, is part of a group of critical U.S.-based analysts and what they wrote don't necessarily fall in line with how they believe the actual vaccine is going to actually come out. So, the people behind their vaccine are very happy with it and want to push their vaccine, even though it doesn't seem to be as effective as the other two leading candidates at the moment. We're going to see which one or ones will, will make their way through. Now, the biggest thing about this vaccine was the other two have to be kept at extremely cold temperatures. One like at negative 80 Celsius, the other around negative 40 Celsius. This one only has to be kept uh, to uh, a very, very low, not a extremely low level. Es essentially, it can fit in any cooler that current vaccines are living in right now. You don't have to have any modifications or any extra cold for this thing to live long enough to be distributed and given out to people. We'll see if 7% effectiveness is worth the risk and if it's going to be, maybe they'll find a way to increase it to a higher rate or, or whether this one's going to fall behind because the other two say they're better once the F the FDA and the CDC get their hands on it. Now, let's be clear. There's been no actual cause for these things to be you know, ready to go other than the fact that we want them ready to go when, this, when they get their, their clearance because their clearance has not come yet. The FDA and the CDC haven't even had a chance to look at these things and won't for about a week. So this third one is now third in line for all the other stuff. But what we know about it so far says it's not quite as good We'll see if that's good enough real soon. This next story, I'm going to be honest, was just posted because we 
try to post something every 50 minutes, and that comes out to be about 27 or 28 different stories in a day uh, to fill the day. And sometimes you just go with whatever pops up in the feeds that looks interesting. It was interesting, and you guys thought it was interesting enough to be number five this week, so I'm surprised where it is. And it stuck around for quite a while uh, starting on Saturday. It is also a story that is a numerical tie for what we have here. And when we have ties, we don't like to leave them as ties. We let the younger story get the hot top bidding. So we'll let you know what the younger story, the number five story is in a moment. But this story uh, right here at number six, uh, posted, as we said, on Saturday the 21st of November, gets a slight bump in response, just 1%, 1.09 to be exact, from the number seven story. Here's the headline. Family of Saudi Arabia's most outspoken political prisoner calls on G20 to hold kingdom to account. CNN.com is where we got this. I'm just going to go ahead and read from the story, the first couple paragraphs from the story there, and we'll kind of sort of uh, reminisce on it when I'm done reading this part. The family of Luan al-Ahul, a jailed Saudi woman's rights defender believed by her relatives and advocacy organizations to be on a hunger strike, has called on the G20 to demand that Saudi Arabia release the prominent activists. G20 leaders are meeting this weekend at a virtual summit hosted by Riyadh, which currently leads heads the Club of Rich Nations. Sorry, heads the Club of Rich Nations. The event has revived discussions about the kingdom's human rights abuses on an uptick under the leadership of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, or MBS as he's known, who has rolled out a rapid succession of reforms while also forcefully stamping out dissidents in the kingdom. Here's a quote. It's the duty of the international community to ask about Luan, to tell Saudi Arabia that they won't believe any of the reforms when the ones who have been advocating for them are behind bars. Luan al-Halabadi's sister, Lina al-Abalu, told CNN. More quote. It's the duty of the international community to call on the release of Lujan. Amnesty International urged world leaders not to, quote, buy the spin Saudi Arabia's real change makers are in jail. That's the end of the quote in that one. Human Rights Watch said the summit was, quote, a mask, a mark of international prestige for the government of Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, but it helps the Saudi government deflect from its image as a pervasive human rights violator, unquote, on that one. So apologies for bad read, but here's the gist of it. Human rights are an issue in Saudi Arabia, and rights for women are a serious issue in most of the Arab countries in Saudi Arabia and in general. And so in a country where uh, uh, MBS is supposedly putting out reforms to make his nation and make the region a bit more Western or at least more fair to rights, if you will, many of the people who have led the fight to get those rights are behind bars, which sort of is a hypocritical to say these people are right about having less less infringements on your rights, but we're going to infringe on their rights in the process to kind of make it work out. Uh, we'll see if this dissident will be released anytime soon. Of course, the G20 was held basically last weekend, and so the fact that this one lasted so long, maybe it's a testament to how quickly it rose up or the international audience we have or how the other things just could not outlast it in the time. As we said, five and six are essentially a tie by score, but the tiebreaker is always when the story was posted. Uh, number six posted on Saturday the 21st. Tuesday the 24th is the date we posted number five, making it the younger story 
and the top story in the two. That headline is more than 2,400 workers at world's top glove maker test positive for coronavirus. This story we pulled from CBS News's website, and the story is about Malaysia's top glove corp, the world's largest maker of rubber gloves. And it said on Tuesday that it expects a two to four week delay in deliveries after more than 2,000 workers at its factories were infected by coronavirus. Outbreak has raised the possibility of supply distribution during the pandemic, which is the big story along these things. Go to our website, thisistheconversation.com, and click the link for uh, this week's podcast, week ending at November 27, 2020. We have a link for basically every story, and I basically for every story in the list and beyond. Every story we talk about here in the podcast and all the way down to 202 between and in between are there, so you can go deeper into that one. But if you want to go deeper into the story, click on that link for that one because it tells about how the factory found out, how the procedure is going on, and, of course, brings up the bigger question, as we just said a moment ago, about supply in how things are working around all the disruptions due to the pandemic, some being natural people being ill stuff, some being hoarding and pulling things out of supply, and some are just people taking advantage of the system and either not producing so much or quote unquote hoarding things and raising the price on stuff. If you remember the hand sanitizer kid who was getting people a quarter or getting a quarter for squirts of hand sanitizer and the bunches and bunches of stories of people hoarding toilet paper, bad times unfortunately brings out bad people and that's that happens. This is a bad situation, not bad people, but it goes to the larger question of how many things are being delayed because of coronavirus. At number four, headline reads, Meghan Markle reveals recent miscarriage and powerful op-ed. Wednesday, the 25th of November is the day that was posted. It, this gives a bumpy response of 33.33% from the Tide stories at five and four. Now, if you had a chance to check out the op-ed, it was published in the New York Times and told about the miscarriage that she experienced. Um, would be her, would, would have been her second child in July. And it was basically a story of her going the door through the motions of taking care of her current child, Archie Archibald, I believe his full name is, and then experiencing the sort of pain of loss. Uh, if you've experienced uh, the miscarriage thing, that's the only way I can put it, then you uh, know how deep and disturbing and stressful it is. My wife actually suffered two miscarriages between the birth of our son and the birth of our daughter. So that's something that, that I know uh, personally on that end. And while I cannot, claim to be even close to understand the way she felt about it because she actually had to go through the physical pain of it. I understand how, how it is. And I also, also understand how a lot of people who don't understand it or literally just are tired of Meghan Markle uh, can, can be a bit harsh on the fact that she wrote this op-ed. It, you know, is, you know, essentially she is asking for attention because people believe she just sort of asked for attention. But many women who have suffered through miscarriages or know people who have gone through miscarriages very close to them or dealt with that in a direct sense, essentially uh, um, nurses and doctors who deal with these things are all saying thanks and praise for the words that she said, being able to put something into words that many people don't get a chance, don't know how to, don't get a chance to, and don't have a platform where people will listen. Uh, with all the other things that are really important right now, that are real issues right now, something like this is a big deal for health in general and mental health uh, particularly. 
this is a very, very serious, very hard to deal with the situation from whatever angle you're at if you have to deal directly with that. So people are giving her praise, and yes, people are sort of doubting her because she seems to be an, an attention uh, star for attention various times. But if you want to know more about the situation, check out the article, check out the, the op-ed in the New York Times, or click the link for our, the article here we've got from now this, and it'll do a quick detail of what happened in the op-ed. At number three, Walmart, Target, Best Buy are closed Thanksgiving amid COVID-19, while CVS and Walgreens are open. Sunday, the 22nd of November, day we posted this one. This is the highest rating Facebook story of the week, which which actually didn't really help initially be where it was going to be. Twitter essentially put it where it was going to be anyway. We'll explain the Twitter, Facebook role in a bit. It does get a bump of response from the story at number four by 82.26%. So there's that. Now, what does this mean? In the past couple of years, retailers have been doing what they can to make the money off the people. And that means uh, early Black Friday. Early Black Friday used to mean Thursday afternoon and Thursday night. This year would extra safety precautions, extra precautions via economy and just the timing of life. Black Friday or the Black Friday deals essentially started, if not late October, early November. In fact, there have been Black Friday-ish type deals in many places from day one November. Now, what that means, especially with the backlash of making people work on Thanksgiving that's been held by many of the big box stores lately, is a shutdown of stores to the public on Thanksgiving. Now, some people came into work and did some backup stuff and uh, setting up for Black Friday deals. And like I said, some places I've gone to Walmart every single, I go to Walmart basically every day, on, on, oddly enough. And they've had Black Friday deals where you walk in every uh, every couple of weeks. That meant uh, with the deals online, deals in store early on, there was no reason to have people working on Thanksgiving. So this is a, a trend that we hope will continue that major box store people won't have to work at the major box stores on the day of Thanksgiving. Now, Walgreens and CVS are a bit different. They're drug stores and they're known for being open on the holidays because you're open on Christmas because people forget batteries, people forgot milk, people need to pick up other things, and there are things that. Oddly enough, uh, on Thanksgiving of this year, which is yesterday as I record this, I went to Walgreens and got a flu shot because Walgreens was open. I went to Walgreens and the pharmacy was open. There are things that should be open, need to be open, and the people that are working those things do get, as far as we can tell, the extra holiday pay for being able to take care of stuff. But the mass amounts of craziness like the Black Friday early deals, those types of things, COVID-19 may be the, the death of those types of things, even when we do get back to whatever real normal is really soon. Really quick on the number two story, In-N-Out grand opening in Aurora, Colorado hit a staggering 14 hours. Tuesday, the 24th of November, we posted this one, bump in response from the three-story of 52.65%. That's pretty much it. They opened a brand new In-N-Out burger in Aurora, Colorado. And while I've never been to an In-N-Out burger, uh, I guess, you know, all the good things I hear about it, the people in Colorado, at least in Aurora, thought the same thing because they were willing to get in line and wait 14 hours to get their burgers. Now, a lot of that is just overly extra hype on that one. Click on the link for the story to get deeper into it because it is a um, it is it is more interesting than the headline reads. But it but it 
also is not much more than what the headline reads. People in Aurora, Colorado wanted that In-N-Out burger, and they were willing to wait 14 hours to some people, not everybody, some people to get that first bite. Now, we give fanfare the story at number one because we believe it earned it. Let's get into it. Starting off with the fact that it was posted on Tuesday, the 24th of November. So this one lasted a pretty good long a while. It is a top-rated Twitter story, as most of these are. are. It is a bump in response from the previous story at number two of about 600% on its own, 598.26%. Basically, 600% bump response from the two to the one. To the number 10 story story of Charles Gamilla turning off their Twitter feeds or turning off the comments on Twitter feeds, that story bump in response is 3,391, so 3,391%. And from the almost relevant story, the one at the very bottom, story 202, we'll tell you the headline in a moment, but the bump in response is 120,350%. That's how much more responsive it is from the story at the very bottom. Your headline Dallas Cowboys strength and conditioning coach Marcus Paul dies at 54. Now, this is one that gets a bit controversial because we posted this story on the Tuesday, essentially the day that the incident happened. And we posted it rather late in the day. I mean, it was it was a trending topic uh, fairly earlier in the day. But at a practice for Dallas, Cowboy, for Dallas Cowboys at the facility, they were hosting the game for Thanksgiving, as they always do traditionally in Dallas. There was practice going on on a Tuesday. Uh, we were told, that's the general public, told that there was an incident, a non-COVID-related health issue that shut down the practice facility on Tuesday. And that non-COVID-related non -related health issue was the fact that Marcus Paul, their strength and conditioning coach, basically collapsed while in the middle of practice and was taken to the hospital. There were a lot of initial things saying that he was dead on Tuesday, uh, the family released uh, re released different information saying that he was not deceased. He was on life support as all the back and forth went, was going on. He was not actually dead, but on life support, and they were expecting something to come through. Uh, so the next morning, on Wednesday, it was the kerfuffle about whether he was dead or not. And then later in the afternoon on Wednesday, we got official word that he had passed. On Thursday, the Cowboys wore his initials MP on a sticker on the back of the helmets, too, and they had a large sort of uh, moment of prayer before the game to celebrate the life and the mourn of the passing of their teammates and their coach. And then, unfortunately, it didn't work out so well score-wise as the Dallas Cowboys, beaten by their rival, the Washington football team, at least what we call it now, for the second time in the season, and in the vaulted Thanksgiving Day game. So not good words for the gameplay for the game, uh, but and not great words for actually the loose, losing of the coach and team member. Uh, but that's essentially what happened. And this one, like I said, it blew up big time. It was crazy on Twitter early and just by leaps and bounds was growing and just continued to grow throughout the week, especially because the story didn't didn't, for lack of better terms, uh, didn't die down. It didn't just sit and, and go and go on. Uh, we never posted any updates. We never posted anything about it being on live support. We just let it sit because the story title basically changed back and forth a few times from the original story uh, that was posted from. We pulled it from the MSM website. It was aggregated from there. And as the original story got changed, they just kept changing the headline and changing things up until eventually it was officially announced that 
Marcus Paul had passed. Of course, our thoughts and prayers are going out to all those who knew and loved him, his direct family, his football family, his friends, uh, in all of those. So with that, let's go ahead and get to the stats for the week. Now, as we say often, Twitter drives a show for this show, and it's basically the truth. Uh, what's essentially coming back to the norm, uh, 8% engagement for the Facebook, 8.03 to be exact, and 91.97% uh, engagement for Twitter. So that's 92, 8 to, 9, 8 to 92 is unfortunately where it was before. We'd like to have more feedback in the Twitter I'm sorry, in the Facebook Live. So if you want to do that, follow us on Facebook at This Is The Conversation, and you can respond to things as they come up in your feed. On the back end, as far as engagement goes, the number one story, we didn't say this in the in the fanfare, the number one story with all its responses, massive response on Twitter, got 35.89% of the engagement of everything in the week. And so while 30%, 30-40% is normally where the top 10 are, this week the top 10 came in at 54% on the dot, 54.00% of stories in top 10. So more than half of the engagement from this week came from 10 stories I just told you about up there. Stories that didn't quite make it in, that's number 11, where we talked about the grandma uh, and the and the invited guest who was not family, and the fifth Thanksgiving they're having, even though the loss of, of their husband, the matriarch in that family. Uh, that story, that those stories like those, we'd call them the almost rands, 11 through 15, those usually run about 5 to 6% in the response. Because of the massive response engagement in the top 10, this one drops down to 3.92%, basically 4% for the week. So it's more or less in the same range. Now, the response, the engagement, should say, for the bottom story is actually a little high. 0.03% as opposed to the last few weeks where it's 0.02%. So you got a 0.1% jump in that one. Although the engagement, uh, the, the responsiveness, I should say, is well, well beyond the range of what's normal. 120,350, as we said, less responsive than the number one story. The headline for that one is, Idiot Florida Man Impersonating Police Officer Pulls Over Undercover Detective. Saturday, the 21st of November is the day we posted this one, and it's, the story goes just like that. A man impersonating a police officer who's trying to pull over people ends up pulling over the wrong guy, being an undercover detective. Check out the link for this one, and you can go deeper into that one. Go to our website, thisisaconversation.com. Click link for this week's podcast, which is November the 27th, 2020, and you can go deeper in the, into this story as well, because this is another idiot criminal, although... You know, trying to get by by impersonating a police officer may be the, uh, a, a sort of ingenious thing to do if it works. But when it doesn't and you pull over an actual cop, you see how well it doesn't work. And with that, you can begin to formulate in your head whether this works or not and get ready to send us some feedback. Our email address is theconversationinbox at gmail.com. Send an email to me, us, however you want to describe it, and let us know what we did right this week, what we did wrong this week, what we can do better going forward, and we can discuss any single issue that popped up or anything you want to. Just send us an email at theconversationinbox at gmail.com. We can talk about whatever we want to talk about. Of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Twitter, TH underscore conversation, Facebook, look for This is the Conversation, and the more engagement you give to the story, liking it, loving it, hating it, sharing it, the higher the score it gets going from Friday to Friday to see what stories are the top 
10 in conversation for you guys during a week. This is not what Wolf Blitzer has to say. This is not what Jake Tapper has to say. This isn't even what Hoda has to say. As much as I love me some Hoda, she doesn't determine what I talk about in this podcast. You do. And you do it by being engaged in the stories we post about every 50 minutes or so on our social media feeds attached to the conversation project. Subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any episodes and make sure you are actually sharing with other folks who get more people in there. We have plenty of other products, including our website. We have a newsletter that gives out the top eight stories to talk about on Monday through Friday. We've extended it to Friday, so you have the full week to chatter, chit-chat about. And if you want to help us out and keep things going on, either go to thisistheconversation.com slash partnerships. See if you'd like to partner up with us and then get some stuff done. Or you can just click on a link to any of our affiliates that pop up, either on the website, inside the newsletter, on the feeds. We'll put some theirs every so often as well. We get a affiliate commission from anything you buy from those folks. And we try to pick the ones that are going to help the folks in our audience. It's very diverse, very wide, and very international. It is international. So we try to make sure we have uh, services and products that you guys would like. So if you want to chat about the services and products, we can do that as well via email, but check us out, help us out because this is, as I say every week, a labor of love and a actual labor. It takes time, takes effort, takes resources and anything you guys want to contribute is always greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Of course, at the end, it's all about thanking you for being, being conversational, being open-minded, being sometimes a little stubborn in your comments. So I'll have to say that, but being here for the podcast, Thank you so much for that. It doesn't happen without you. Otherwise, I'm just reading, reading spreadsheets to myself, which doesn't make any sense. It's all that fun. So we are already preparing. You know, it's a short week. We're not even through the Friday yet as I'm recording this week. We are already preparing for another great week of stories that you tell us what will be the biggest one. So you let us know, and we'll tell you what they are in next week on the weekly wrap-up with Jay Thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week.